podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Pod. After Crystal Palace threatened to play another pivotal role in the season's title race, the Reds emerged again with the three points and jetted off to Dubai to regroup and assess, still atop of that Premier League table. So upon their return, they'll be faced with the arrival of Leicester City at Anfield, with Clubwell's side looking to put an end to a poor recent spell. So to help me look ahead to Wednesday's game on the pod this week, I'm joined by AI writer and regular Ollie Emerson and football reporter for the Mail on Sunday. We welcome back uh, James Sharp. Welcome, guys. Hi. Yeah, good to speak with you, James. Um, I think lots, um, I mean, I guess we could say about how not much has changed since I last spoke to you in terms of Leicester and sort of the fortunes of the club and I guess the perception of club well in, in, in a little bit, but, um, obviously four losses in the last, last five games, um, he seems to be coming under increasing pressure. All this after that sort of remarkable sort of back to back wins over Man City and, uh, and Chelsea, um, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, it's, it's really a fascinating case here in terms of looking at how Puel's doing. Um, but first and foremost, I just wanted to ask you, um, what your thoughts were on what was a really enthralling game, um, of course against Wolves, but I'm guessing a, a devastating one as well in terms of how it <laughs> ended. Um, what did you make of the result? What did you make of the performance in general? Oh, the ending was horrendous. Uh, it was, I mean, there was a moment where Wolves went through on goal and there was a half shout for penalty, went through to Kasper Schmeich, who dived on the ball. And at that point, we all let out a collective sigh of relief and went, oh, that's it. It's fine. It's done. At a point, after being 2-0 down, that's great. Let, let's go away with that. And then seconds later, Ndidi launches a, or tries to launch a 40-yard pass and it all goes wrong and it was a oh, horrendous end. Um, and you could tell, you could see by Claude Puel's reaction when he just held his head in his hands just how devastating it was and also just not only the result but also the effect it may well have on the perception of him and and his future. Um, Performance-wise, it was strange really because... A lot of the criticism of Leicester recently has been that they've been quite solid at the back, conceded the odd goal, um, but had or still do have the fifth best uh, defensive record in the league. But going forward, especially against uh, lower sides that had no real creativity, struggled to score goals and been really frustrating to watch. Now, Wolves was the opposite. They created quite a lot of chances, looked really threatening going forward, but at the back were just shambolic. I mean, two goals conceded in the space of no time with really simple things of cross into the box, which was four Leicester players in the box and one Wolves striker at the back of the area and so I managed to score and then just a simple header from a corner. Um, so yeah, weird, uh, and but kind of just sums up how what Leicester are at the minute and just the, the kind of confusion that surrounds the the team and also the manager. Yeah, you mentioned confusion there, but I mean, it's a, sort of a weird game to analyse in that sense because, of course, I mean, there was some positive stuff there in terms of the way in which the team was able to respond and yeah. uh, sort of claw their way back into the game. But, of course, I mean, as you mentioned, sort of that naivety um, from Ndidi there at the end that ultimately cost you. I mean, in terms of sort of the recent inconsistencies that you've seen really in, in or, or just generally the inconsistencies in terms of the performances and the results in the league. Um, do you think it's, I mean, if, if you're trying to point something on or, or trying to figure out where the actual problem lies, um, obviously it's very easy to lay the blame at um, you know, Claude Puel's door and, and managers always do seem to get the, the bulk of the blame for these sort of situations. But um, do you look at the players um, at all and sort of talk about sort of the naivety that you're seeing sometimes um, or do you think it's a case of just uh, a team lacking confidence oh what a question um uh, there's a lot a lot of things and i mean a lot of fans have turned on on club well and a lot of fans would like to see the back of him and a lot of them blame him a lot blame him solely for for these uh, for the results and inconsistent performances due to inconsistent selections uh, changes in system that don't quite fit 
and many things which I'm sure we'll get to um, further along in the podcast. But um, I feel a little bit of sympathy for him because he's not the one telling Damari Gray to give the ball away midway in his own half. He's not the one who's telling Danny Simpson to let the bloke run off his shoulder. He's not the one. He's He was the one who was desperately trying to get the message across to his team at the end of that game. See it out. Don't do anything stupid. Just play for the point. And then indeed he goes and does something like that. Well, isn't isn't telling him to do that. I think uh, reasons for that are is that it's a young side. You, you, and that is a th- one of the things which I think is a positive for Puel because he's bringing through these young players and building for the future. But what he doesn't have in that in that midfield certainly is he doesn't have an experienced head who has been there and done it. Um, you could say, well, Wes Morgan has in defence. I think in the midfield areas, indeed he's 22. He's not got a, an, an experience head there. He can just see the game out and say, what are you doing? That's just clear. Keep it simple. So that is, is, Asa, I think, for example. Precisely, yeah. Um, that kind of that kind of player who would know how to see that game out. I think that comes with experience. It also comes with, I think you're right in saying, a bit of lack of, lack of confidence with, especially indeed he's been below par in terms of his form uh, recently. In terms of inconsistencies in performance, I think for a pretty basic rule of thumb, you can look at the teams which allow Leicester to play their more traditional counter-attacking style and the teams which don't, and in which cases Clubwell tries the style of Clubwell, his team trying to use that more possession-based style and really struggling to break down teams who sit back. Um that's been a problem for Leicester for for seasons, not just in the Puel, but it's Puel's style that is meant to be trying to break these teams down and struggling in doing so. So you look at the victories at Everton, uh, at Chelsea, at home to Man City. They're all against teams who allow Leicester to sit deep and counter. In all those games, Leicester played 4-3-3 with three defensive midfielders and they hit them on the counter and it worked really well. Against the teams that sit back, he tried that system against Carr, against uh, Southampton, and it didn't work, and he got a lot of criticism for playing three defensive midfielders against the team struggling in the bottom three. Uh, so I think that's where you can kind of gauge the rules of thumb between those inconsistent performances. Around that comes issues with selection and formation and all those things, but that, that's the kind of basic uh, divide between these performances, I think. In terms of the sense that you get, in terms of the players, I mean, I, I think people always try and look at sort of a manager's sort of spell at a club, and generally, when the players are perceived to have turned against him, that's when th- things are really sort of beyond repair. I mean, do, do you get that impression? Because yeah. obviously, I mean, you, you look at a result like that four-three, um, and you know whether they're fighting for pride you know, as well as sort of you know fighting for the manager. I mean, do, do, do you get the perception that players are turning against him or is it sort of the 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 more well-known members of the camp, such as Jamie Vardy and, and the like, who, who I remember you, you even spoke to me about in terms of, you know, Powell's got a, a bit of a tough job on his hands because one part of the of the role he's got is is to transition the team into uh, you know, a new team and and that will mean moving on some of those members of the, of course, the title winning team. So do you, do you think it's one or two members of the dressing room perhaps who have who have already turned against him or do you, do you get the sense that the the team is uh, sort of lacking faith in him? I think because I know that there's been a lot of there's been media report, reports recently um, quite from very reputable journalists claiming that there is frustration behind the scenes with club. Well, now I think that's that is true. I mean, I know there was there was a, a line in some of them saying that he'd lost everyone, which I think that's difficult to believe because you can't imagine that he's lost the likes of Ben Chilwell, who he stuck with through thick and thin last season, and he's now developed into an England international. He's not lost Papi Mendy, who's his player and has played a lot under him this season. The same with Ricardo Pereira, who, who's Puel's man from, from Nice. So a lot of these young players, uh, I don't get the sense that they've, they've turned their back on Puel. Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't get the sense that uh, the players in general have turned their back on Puel. I get the sense that perhaps they're frustrated with him, um, 
certainly, well, Jamie Vardy himself came out uh, in the press and said, no, well, Puel's style doesn't really suit my game, but it's my job to to adapt to that. So I, I'm not surprised that there are frustrations behind the scenes from certainly those players who are used to playing a certain way, that certain way suits their style, and now a new style is coming in which isn't working and doesn't suit their style. As, well, I say isn't working. Isn't working as well as perhaps it should do, um, especially against teams who aren't as good as Leicester and shouldn't be getting results against Leicester. So there is naturally a sense of frustration, I think, from certain areas behind the scenes. But then you look... But then if he'd lost the players, they wouldn't be coming back into games like they are doing. Leicester, if, if you just took the second halves of games, Leicester would be in the Champions League spots so or near enough about it. They've had... After half-time, when they're usually behind because they've had rubbish first halves, they've come back with spirit and fight and determination and shown their character. Now, if they turned on their manager and they wanted their manager to go, they wouldn't be putting in those kind of performances. Puel's naysayers will say, yeah, but that's just the the player's professional pride is kicking in. Um, And that victory over Man City or that victory over Chelsea, that's just the player's pride kicking in. Well, if that were the case, why isn't that why aren't those players pride kicking in in the games they aren't winning? Why isn't it the players showing their character in the games that they're drawing against Burnley or losing to Southampton? So I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's as simple as saying he's lost the dressing room, they've all turned their back on him, um, because th- those performances would suggest that they haven't. Um, I didn't see any of that kind of fight in the end, at the, the final days of Ranieri, for example. So I think there is there is certainly he certainly has some of has some of the dressing room and the players haven't downed tools at all. I just think they are struggling with a transition to a different style of play. And Puel has to take some criticism for that because it's his job to get his message across. It's his job to get those players performing how he wants to and, he, and he, he's struggling to do that in some respects. Uh, but to say that he's lost the dressing room and to say that he's mm. he's lost them all I think is a little bit simplistic. Yeah, of course there's frustrations and there's frustrations from the stronger frustrations from a certain area of that dressing room than there are others but to say that I think that he's lost them completely is a little bit simplistic No, of course, yeah, I mean I think it's it's very easy for that, for those narratives to grow um, sadly I think whenever it, it seems like this is sort of following Puel around a little bit, I, I remember at Southampton mm-hmm. as well there seemed to be sort of a, the, a similar stage in, in the development where, where people sort of started to question him for, the, for similar reasons as well um, I mean, it's very similar, indeed. It's it's almost identical. Like it's the the same problems that he had at Southampton, talking about his demeanour mm. in front of the camera, his lack of connection with the fans because of that demeanour. Even though his English, I think, has improved since then, that uh, but and then that gets transposed onto the football and that difficulty of of getting style across, which is when it, when it doesn't work, it can be very turgid and sideways. In the flashes that it it does work. It looks really exciting and vibrant, but they are only in flashes when it should be in in extended periods. And it's the same problem. The, the fans that don't like him and want him gone are quoting the same um, frustrations that the Southampton fans had. So it is a very similar situation as it was at Southampton. The only question now is whether the ending will also be the same. No, of course. I mean, I, I guess it sort of then segues nicely on to just asking you then about what you personally have made of Claude Puel this season in terms of, I mean, do, do, do you anticipate that he's going to um, end the season and then continue as Leicester boss? I mean, obviously three tough fixtures coming up against um, you know, ourselves, uh, Man United, who are obviously mm. bounced back strongly since uh, Solskjaer has joined uh, Spurs as well, who you could argue are not as strong as they were. But it, it almost seemed as though you were saying there as well, and I'll probably get on to talking about the game on Wednesday as well, but Claude's um, Claude's uh, Claude's style actually in terms of how how he's setting Leicester up seems to be doing better against these bigger sides. I mean, do you think a run like this could potentially galvanise the side? I mean, I guess that's what sort of Puel has been saying in the media. He, he hopes happens. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? And counterintuitive where you look at these fixtures and go, "Oh, that that is 
that could well see his downfall. But then you look at the it's the teams that are bottom of the table that sit back and don't let Leicester attack, that don't let Leicester counterattack them. They're the games in which Leicester are at their worst at the minute. It's games against the big teams where they do have space to counter in which they are at their most dangerous, I think. So, yeah, counterintuitively, you could look at this run and go, it could actually help his cause in the long run because they, I mean, they, they, play, to their, they play to Leicester's strengths. But it will take a monumental effort for them to get anything from it, as it did against Man City and at Chelsea. It was real digging deep kind of performances to get a result there. So they will have to show that similar spirit. But yeah, strangely enough, at the minute, you'd probably fancy Leicester more against those kind of teams than you would against Burnley or Fulham or Southampton or anyone at the bottom. And one player who I think obviously was charged with sort of providing quite a lot of that creativity since, since he came into the side um, this season, James Madison obviously caught quite a lot of attention early on. Uh, certainly when I was watching him, I was struck by just how confident he did seem to be you know, having jumped up that level. Um, how has he done throughout the season? And um, if you were to sort of single out the players who have been the most influential, who have been the most um, uh, you know, positive to watch throughout this season so far who would those be at the start of the season I would have said Madison along with you um, in the recent times he's, his influence on games has been less than it was at the beginning I think that is due to the fact that he was is a young player in the Premier League it doesn't take you long for teams he was unknown when he first when he first came onto the Premier League scene, it stood out at Norwich, but you wouldn't say that a lot of Premier League teams would, would know much about him. So came on, showed his confidence, showed the way he could create things, and we saw him getting called up in the England squad because of it. In recent times, I think he's fallen off a little bit. I think that's because he's young and will naturally be inconsistent. Um, also because teams are now targeting him because they know that he's Leicester's most creative player and they rely a lot on him getting the ball in between the lines and moving it forward. When he is struggling, Leicester goes sideways because he is the one player that in that midfield area that can move it forward. And also I think that's, be- and that's because Leicester rely on him so much cre- creatively to produce the goods and, and make them gel as a, as a unit going forward. And that's a lot of pressure to have on the shoulders of a very young player who's in his first season in the Premier League. So uh, I think that's why he's struggling more than he did at the start of the season. I think uh, the player that has looked more, less creative in that kind of skillful um, sense, but in more of a direct, fast way is Ricardo Pereira, who is a right back but also has been played on the right wing and also on the left wing he's very fast very direct very attacking um, bombs forward has a pretty decent end product as you, we saw when he scored the winner against Man City yeah, at the yeah. King Power Stadium on Boxing Day so I think he is a player that gets people off their seats um, he's been a probably the standout attacking player uh, recently which I think says a lot about Leicester's issues is the fact that their right back has been their most attack, their most exciting attacking outlet in the most in the past few weeks and months but then another player that I think Leicester fans are now pinning a lot of hope on is Harvey Barnes who has had an outstanding uh, first half of the season on loan at, at West Brom uh, product of Leicester's academy has, has torn it up in the championship this season with the baggies and I think Leicester wanted to keep him there for the whole season but a combination of him doing so well and Leicester doing so poorly creatively I think Puel's hand was forced a little bit and they've brought him back played the second half against Wolves uh, first half against Wolves uh, first six, six minutes against Wolves actually and looked pretty decent scored what should have been his first goal but it got chalked off um, and was given as an own goal but that will give them confidence. So Leicester fans are excited to see him and hope that he can provide a bit more of a creative spark. I think it would be pretty unfair to heap too much pressure on him 
similarly to Madison, to pin all your hopes on on a young lad who's just making it in the in the, in the Premier League. But he's a player that I think, looking forward, could be one that can be exciting in the future. No, certainly. I think another player I wanted to mention because I, I just thought there's no way you can't really mention him just based upon one is style, but then also the fact that I I, I very rarely see the name Chowdhury in uh, in relation yeah. to Premier League football, and, and obviously sort of a uh, a guy there who, who's come to the academy as well. Um, parents of Bangladeshi descent as well, which is yeah. again <laughs> incredibly sort of rare to see um, in British football generally. I mean, um, what do you make of his sort of spell? I mean, I, I think it's only four matches, isn't it, in the, in the side this season? But obviously, he, he he's been called upon. Was it? Was he another one who you think you have high hopes for in terms of developing? Or yeah, definitely. Um, I think most, either most or all of his games that he started, Leicester have won, um, apart from that Southampton game. Uh, so most of them that they've they've won with him in the side. Uh, he is an exceptional talent to go with his exceptional haircut as well. Yeah. Uh, but he he's great. I mean, he's always been. A, a young player that's always been highly rated. I know when he was even well, even younger than he is now. A few years ago, there was talk of the likes of there were media speculation of the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona and, and giants like that looking at him speculatively from afar. How much credence there was in that, we, we never really know. But he was he was linked with those kind of clubs when he was a sixteen-year-old. Uh, he's had a few loan spells away from Leicester and and done exceptionally well. But he looks superb. It, it, he doesn't look um, intimidated. He, he's played against some huge teams. Even last season, when when Puel called upon him, he brought him on at the end of a game against, I think it was Tottenham, when they were looking to see out uh, a result. And Puel put a lot of faith in him. He's got excellent energy, loves a tackle, reads the game really well, um, but has that dynamism about him where he can close down players exceptionally quickly. So he sees it coming, but because he's so quick and agile, he can get there really quickly. So he's a player that has been has been excellent. I think he's got a huge future at Leicester. And I think we will probably see a lot more of going forward. And I think we probably will see him in action against Liverpool because of the system Claude will probably play with the, with the, the three in midfield. And to give him the job of closing down that Liverpool midfield really quickly because he's done that job really well against the likes of Chelsea and Man City. And Poel may well call on him to do the same against Liverpool as well. Yeah, and that's obviously a nice segue into sort of um, your thoughts on how you think you're going to approach this game than against Liverpool on Wednesday. I mean, you mentioned there the 4-3-3 had proved more effective against sort of the bigger sides in the league. Just looking at your results against them in terms of... Um, uh, lost to Arsenal um, and and Spurs, um, but then, then of course those two back to back wins that we mentioned earlier on, as well as, well as the actual draw in the cup yeah. as well, I guess against City um, as well. Um, yeah, so how, how do you think Puel's going to approach it? I mean, do you, do you pretty much have that sort of set plan there that that, that seemed to be effective? Um, but would there be any sort of um, you know, special changes for this fixture? I mean, I, I know you just mentioned Chowdhury there. Yeah, I mean as Claude Wells critics will tell you there is no joy in trying to predict what Claude Wells is going to pick and to say there is a set plan is also I mean Puel doesn't do set plans uh, as critics will will, will tell you Mm. but I think in general we can it would make sense and I would suggest or probably predict that in a game like this against Liverpool, who are that kind of big side, who will have a lot of the ball, very dangerous going forward, but will also leave Leicester lots of space in behind because they are that kind of team, that he will probably go back to this 4-3-3 system. And it will probably be um, Chowdhury and Didi and Mendy in the middle. And what that will allow hopefully it will allow, as it did against Chelsea and Man City, is it will allow Ben Chilwell and Ricardo Pereira to bomb on on the wings because they're pretty much Leicester's most potent attacking threats in the wide areas at the minute. Uh, so, hope, so those two will bomb on and when they do, 
one of those three midfielders will drop in or should drop in into the fullback areas to allow Leicester to counter attack. Liverpool are going, to, are going to have more of the ball. Leicester aren't going to have going to struggle with that. We've got loads of the ball. What are we going to do with it? Like they normally do against the, the bottom sides. So, if I were to predict anything, I would say he'll probably use the same plan and the same system as he did against Chelsea and against Everton and against Man City. And from my point of view, from Leicester's point of view, hopefully we'll get a similar result. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, obviously, desperate for you not to get any sort of success <laughs> no, against of course, us with yeah. that plan. I mean, I mean, just actually looking back now, I mean, to when we last spoke, actually, at the start of the season, really, um, much, much earlier on, I mean, just wanted to ask you, I mean, we're asking all sort of rival fans who come on to the pod, um, pods this season, just what they've made of Liverpool. I think many people sort of, I guess, had, um, doubts about how this side would progress, even despite yeah. that sort of strong start at the start of the season. I mean, what have you made of the side? And um, I guess what have been um, your thoughts on the, mo- the more impressive aspects? Um, I mean, the the most impressive aspect of Liverpool, uh, I think, isn't the fact that they've got Mo Salah and Sadio Mane and Firmino up front who can tear up most defences. Because they had that last season. What is most impressive this season is that defence and that impact that Van Dijk has had and the impact that Alisson has. Because looking from afar, we've always known that Liverpool can score goals and can blow teams away. But it's when they need to keep teams out where they have struggled. And it's that area that's let them down or that's held them back from being genuine title winners in the past whereas this season they just look imperious I mean Van Dijk we all did I mean I had to hold my hands up and say 75 million quid I thought was ludicrously expensive for a central defender and completely blew open the transfer market because of it but if they can Liverpool continue the way they have and go on to win the title and who knows in the Champions League, that is one of the most, I mean, you can't call it a bargain, but it's a hugely warranted investment and, and he's just defined his price tag many times over. So it's, 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 it's that which I found most impressive about Liverpool this season, that when they've, they've been called upon and they have to show that grit and that resilience and the ability to shut up shop and keep teams out, that, they have, that they're able to do that and do it on a consistent basis week in and week out because scoring your goals isn't what wins your titles it's that solid base and that solid defence that keeps teams out and then you can score goals that's what will win you the titles and I think mm. at the minute that's what's winning a title for Liverpool yeah it's, uh, I think it's remarkable just based on, on on recent seasons and this game actually against against you just based upon sort of the style in which Leicester have played in recent in recent years it's always been one I've, I've sort of dreaded to be honest because just your direct approach has often caused us havoc and and, yeah. and largely because I think up until this season I haven't really seen many Liverpool sides who've been able to control an actual game it was always a sense that they had to create this um you know create this chaos in a game and then ride yeah. the momentum and when they did manage to do that they were you know pretty much unstoppable but if you could wrestle it away from them, they you know, didn't really have an answer for you. Whereas this season, it does feel like um, you know, Swiss Army knife of sorts. I mean, there, there's more and more answers to different questions. Yeah, they can win games in different ways, can't they? Like in the past, they would either blow teams away or they would struggle. Now, they can blow teams away. They can grind out wins. They can outthink their opponents. They, before, they used to, they, they would, it'd be like the battering round. They would just hammer the door down and that would be the only way through. Now they can pick locks. Now they can keep people, they can keep opponents out. They can win. They can win different times of games in different kind of ways. And it's that versatility. I know when Leicester did it um, in the first half of the season, they were this flamboyant counter-attacking side that that just devastated teams and usually couldn't live with them. Second half of the season, when teams worked them out, they still found a way to win games. They won like five on the, on the trot, one nil. Um, Mares would, would conjure up bits of magic, but they had a defence that would that would keep teams out and they'd win games one nil. You never thought 
in the past, like last season, you never really looked at Liverpool and thought, oh, they can do that. Yeah, if they, they'll, they'll be able to win this. They won't be playing the best, but they'll, they'll win it because they can they can grind out results. Now they can do that. And that is the most important thing. And that's been the most impressive thing, I think, for Liverpool this year. Um, because they, like you say, Swiss Army Knife, they can, they have the answer to pretty much every scenario at the minute. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously hoping that's going to continue to be honest. But just, just, just one more question before I get to you in terms of predictions, um, for Wednesday's game. But, um, where, where do you see the key battle being in this game then? I mean, you mentioned sort of being combative and high, uh, high energy in midfield. Um, to sort of stifle Liverpool there in terms of our transition game, but also, I mean, some of our players aren't, aren't as good at being pressed as others. I'm thinking of Henderson here, depending on where he's playing, although actually in recent games he's been far better, played a little bit further ahead um, with Fabinho in the six. Um, does seem to be more balanced. Um, would you say that, that that midfield battle is going to be the key area for you, or, or do you think there's some... Uh, other weaknesses that you can exploit at the moment. I, I'm, I'm figuring that this this 10, 11 day break might be enough for us to get uh, an actual right back back in the team, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I'm not entirely sure about that. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, the area is one. And like I mentioned earlier with Chowdhury, his, his ability to read what's going to happen, but then also have the, the, the dynamism to to get there and, and close it down and press it down. So if he can do that to the likes of Henderson, that's a really important area. But where I, the real the real issue for Leicester, I think, will be in those fullback areas because it's Leicester's most potent weapon. But if they overplay it, like they did against Wolves and like they did against Bournemouth earlier in the season, and they get caught out, there is no team that is going to punish them quite as viciously in those wide areas as Liverpool will with Salah and Mane. Pereira and Chilwell bombing on is fantastic and Leicester will need that to happen if they are to be able to hit Liverpool on the counter. But when you look at Leicester have got um, Harry, well, Harry Maguire may well he's still injured out so it may be Johnny Evans and Wes Morgan at centre-back. That's two um, so the best way of putting this, two uh, central defenders who, Seasoned. yes, that, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, uh, well in the twilight is is probably yeah. So the last thing Leicester can afford is for those two to get exposed. But as we saw against Wolves, right at the death, if Leicester commit too many bodies forward in those wide areas with Pereira and Chilwell and get caught out, they are brutally exposed and can be brutally exposed and. If there's one opponent you don't want to do that against, it's Liverpool. So I think that is the area that Leicester and Claude Puel and his instructions to those those players, need, the balance needs to be spot on. As it was against Everton, it was against Man City, it was against Chelsea. They have to get that right. If they do, they can get something from it. If they don't, they can get torn to shreds. No, of course they don't. I'll come to you then and just ask what your prediction is for the game then, just to put you on the spot then. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> the kindest questions. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be able to say... Predicting Leicester City is the hardest thing in the world to do, especially we see with this, with with the recent results. And it's probably more likely that Leicester could get something from this game. Uh, but I think the way Liverpool are playing this, this season, I and being at home, I do think Liverpool will edge it. I want to go with two, one to Liverpool, maybe, th- maybe three. But I'll be a little more positive and say two. You're making many fans on the pod. Trust me. I, I think <laughs> if, if 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 Leicester can just sort of hold their resurgence to um, the, the following games against United and Spurs, that would be that would be more or less ideal. I think <laughs> I think many Reds fans would be um, very happy about that. But no, I, th- I, I, yeah. I think they're certain, we're certainly aware of sort of the threat that Leicester posed certainly um, had many difficult, difficult games against against Leicester. And also Puel as well in the past. He, he obviously had a good record against Klopp prior to the um, previous defeat. But um, yeah, yeah, did seem to have his number at one stage. So it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting for sure. But uh, anyway, James, thanks so much for all the insight there. Really appreciate it, especially considering sort of the contrast between speaking to you towards the start of the season and um, yeah. sort of catching up with you now as well. But um, uh, 
before uh, before you go, did you have anything that you would like to plug? No, well, um, if anything, you, just, you can follow me on Twitter if uh, you wish to follow my Leicester City ramblings. Um, that is at the sharp end um, with an E on the end of sharp. A nice pun um, on, on my name. Uh, so there's that. And then you can also um, follow uh, what I write in the mail on Sunday uh, or the mail online, um, depending on which you prefer to read, whether it be um, digital or actual hard paper copy. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely encourage you to check those out. But um, anyway, uh, thanks so much for all that insight again, James. And um, we'll be speaking to, to Ollie uh, about Liverpool and just uh, exactly what the Reds have been doing out there in Dubai. Talking to Ollie about all things Liverpool, um, a period of pretty relative calm at the moment for Reds fans, of course, that the CR rivals all expending their energies in the cups, um, the domestic cups, of course, and you know, Klopp's side have been in, in Dubai for warm weather training. Albeit a pretty low-key uh, sort of warm weather training. No photos have come out. No golf clubs have been swinging. Things like that. It's uh, seems to be resting up for the challenges ahead. So, uh, Ollie, I mean, I, I, I guess look a little bit back actually now. Um, it feels like it was a while ago. But um, that win over Palace, it it brought back for me a few memories of last season, really, in just terms of how frantic at times the game was. We've not seen much of that this season. Was there anything that can that concerned you from that that you think is yeah, maybe a sign for something that we, we might see in matches going forward, or do you think it was more or less just a, a one-off? Uh, not so much in terms of the defending. I, I think the three goals that Palace got were an anomaly in terms of, you know, you get the odd mistake thrown in there. They scored a goal where Zaha gets past Milner, and on most weeks we're going to have someone quicker than Milner played at right back, and Wilfred Zaha's not going to be playing left wing, so it's just one of them where sort of injuries got the better of us, and obviously cuts it back to Townsend's great finish. Um, and then it's a header from the corner. It's one of those, like, as good as we've got at defending set pieces and even attacking from them this season. Uh, you know, it's football, you're going to concede from a few. And then they get the golden last minute. I, I think the three goals was a bit anomaly. What, what did concern me a little bit was the fact that I don't know if it was the pressure getting to us, but we sort of allowed the game to quicken up to a level that we haven't really seen this season in terms of game speed, sort of end to end stuff. We've seen a bit more in Champions League, maybe, like we were against PSG at home. Uh, whereas, you know, you attack, we attack, but we don't normally associate with Liverpool nowadays. Normally we play much more sort of a con- in a controlled manner. And I, I can't say whether it's an anomaly or something that's going to, something that's the pressure sort of having an effect on and it's going to sort of continue. And we'll see that later in the season. I hope not. I hope that we get back against Leicester to this controlled, calm manner we've taken to playing games in. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see about that. But, you know, as you say, uh, it's a frantic game. Uh, brilliant in the end of the win. When that Mane goal went in, I think we all re- breathed a really big sigh of relief. And it's nice that uh, the Reds have gone off for the warm weather training. I think it's been nice for the fans as well, just to have 10 days of sort of calm. You haven't had to, you know, we've watched, we're watching other teams play in the Cups and they might pick up uh, injuries or selection issues there, you know, scrabbling around to the transfer window whilst we sort of get 10 days of everything nice and calm on the Liverpool front, which is a... Uh, Probably going to be a welcome relief going into what I think are going to be a testing time in the last few uh, uh, months of the season, uh, both you know on the pitch and emotionally in the stands. No, of course, yeah, it's definitely going to be a testing time. I- I'm sure plenty of Reds fans would have welcomed the opportunity to to join the team <laughs> for that warm weather training <laughs> session in Dubai, especially it, it would... how cold it is round here. Exactly, it, 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 it wouldn't have been too bad. Yeah, they they, they they timed that very well in terms of yeah the cold spell that we've had over here as well. I mean, just asking you about that actual warm weather training. Then, I mean not seen too much from it i mean uh, there are a few clips that sort of emerged on t- onto social media one being that one of course and we'll, we'll definitely be talking about ox in a bit but um you know that one of ox joining in in training and looking you know looking good looking uh you know sharp or increasingly sharp and of course there was a huge encouragement from the staff there who were working with him that was really nice to see but it's it's been it has been quite low key isn't it i mean do you get the impression that this this is just being used to sort of what um get ourselves together, reassess and uh, you know, stay focused. Yeah, I think it's probably one of those weeks that we all sort of downplay and then should we win anything come May, we might get, you know, newspaper articles that sort of talk of that get reports on this as being sort of defining week in terms of Klopp getting a chance to get the squad together and prepare them for this sort of titanic battle we've got ahead with Manchester City. Um, mm. I think obviously it's been very important in terms of getting injured players back. I think Matip and Matip's ready for Leicester. I think Lovren should be all right. I think Klopp said or at least on the bench with Matip starting. Uh, Joe Gomez is still a couple of weeks off. I think it's come out today. Uh, we recorded on the Friday, so before Leicester. So even that, it's probably we've only got a couple of games more 
uh, without Gomez. Um, so, you know, I think it's one of them where we downplay it. It's, we, we all sort of just take the fact, yeah, it's good to get away. And I suppose, like Klopp said, uh, he was asked whether or not it's been useful, you know, this time away uh, in the warm weather training. And he said, you know, like we had the opportunity, so we'll do it, but we'll uh, see whether it's useful or not in the next few weeks. And I think that must be the case. Yeah, no, I think uh, I've also heard Cy Brundish as well talk about how he thinks, I mean, from his from his perspective, he, he's always going to be looking at the fatigue, etc. He, he thinks that this week is going to be uh, pretty imperative just on terms of, you know, making sure a bunch of those players keep their loads up in terms of just the the physical workload that, that they're, that they're putting in to make sure that when, when they do come in and some of them who, who've had perhaps less minutes don't get injured immediately when they do come in as well. Uh, on that update from Klopp as well, was there anything concerning Trent on that? Uh, I wasn't sure whether there was, I mean, is, is it he's making good progress, but unlikely to be back for, for the Leicester game? Yeah, I think it's one of them where it's, they see, they seem to be a bit weird with injury. I think Klopp talked about when it, when it, when it first came out, of course, there was reports he was going to be out for a month and then there was reports he might be fit for the Palace game. And then it was sort of, you know, he's a quick healer, so we're going to keep an eye on it. I think Klopp seems to be keeping his cards close to his chest on that one, as he seems to be for a lot of the sort of injuries we've got recently. Um, obviously, you know, we're talking about how it's all been quite sort of quiet, not too much has come out. For, not, it doesn't seem like the journalists have been briefed too much on what's been going on um, out in Dubai. So I think it's one of those where we're just going to have to wait and see. But yeah, I think the general sort of feeling is with Trent that he's probably going to miss Leicester, but we should see him back uh, for the following game. I hope, anyway. Yeah, we've seen this sort of the promotional uh, Instagram post go up as well. Of course, you know, n- no one sees the work you do in the dark. I'll be back <laughs> soon. So, looking out on Melwood, some sort of like dark night esque photo. So he's he's working his way back, and um, yeah, it, it I hope seem- I hope someone's getting paid handsomely for those for these posts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, I mean, especially with Trent, I think he's he's probably learned to keep things quite private recently after yeah. after some of the rumours he went through this season. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, certainly. But um, just, I, I guess, to, to, to stay focused on this sort of question then, because with Trent, whether it being unclear whether he's going to be back in time to, to play a role in that game, we are presented with an issue. As you mentioned, it's not every week that we're going to have someone like Zaha running at Milner, who more or less has done a pretty decent job whenever he's come in uh, this season to be to play a defensive role, you, you know what you get from him, but it's just completely, completely outmatched. He, he, he looked all of those 33 years against um, against Zahar uh, in, in, in the previous game. He's not going to be there either, of course, having been suspended. Um, so what would you do to sort of solve the right-back issue then? Because, of course, we know we have Brazil's right-back or you know, former right-back in the team in terms of uh, Fabinho can, can, can play that role. Um, but I personally think it'd probably be a bit of a shame to take him out of that midfield because it, it does look so much better balanced when he's in there and Henderson seems to be even more effective when he's in that midfield as well. Um, would Did you see Klopp going for something like Camacho in 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 a game like this or do you think it's too much of a risk considering the stakes we're now uh, now playing with? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, Leicester are, by nature, a sort of defensive counter-attacking side under Puel. So we'd probably look for a fast player to come in and play right back obviously Milner can't anyway I, I, I felt really sorry for him against Crystal Palace it's one of those where he goes in defence at times and does an okay job but he's getting old and like you, can, like, you can't throw a 30 I think he's 32 now 32 year old midfielder in at right back against an, albeit inconsistent one of the quickest most exciting wingers in the division and expect much other than what we got uh, in terms of what to do against Leicester, I, they haven't got a Zaha, so that fills me with a bit more confidence. I, d- I don't think Klopp will go with Camacho, but I probably would in the grand scheme of things. But the thing is, I think it depends a lot with what he wants to do in the midfield. We've seen Cater come in and go out at times. I personally will get onto him later, I think. But I personally think he needs to be given a bit more of a run in the team to try and put some form together rather than just dropping him in you know, for these random games and hoping get clicks but then again as you said Fabinho's looked so good in the middle it would be a shame to take him out but then again Henderson's looked very good recently I think uh, I, I give him a lot of criticism but good old man's been saying he's really been informed recently Dwight Nalum's having an excellent season especially when played in that midfield too he obviously missed the Palace game through injury but it looks like he should be back for Leicester um, and I, th- I think it will be that that sort of makes the decision for Klopp he's not used Fabinho as a right back but he has talked about it and I think if, uh, him, him being willing to use him at centre-back, I think, indicates to me that he'd be willing to use him at right-back, although there have been sort of people on social media saying, you know, he's he's not shown any indication. I think the fact that Fabinho's played as a right-back more in his career, um, yet Klopp was willing to throw him in at centre-back, to me, says if he had to, he'd put him at right-back. So I think it's one of those where 
we can probably expect to see our front three plus Shakiri, and maybe plus Kater, probably plus Shakiri based on how Kater performs in the last game. And then two of Henderson, Wijnaldum and Fabinho. Now, if Wijnaldum's not quite fit, then maybe we see a situation where it is Henderson and um, Fabinho again, and we go with Camacho at right back. However, I think, assuming Wijnaldum's fit, we're going to see a Wijnaldum-Henderson pivot, and then Fabinho at right back, which I do think is a shame, because although Henderson and Wijnaldum have been playing well, I think Fabinho's performances in the last couple of months in the midfield too have been absolutely phenomenal and have shown sort of us that you know our midfield has another level to go to with guys like him and hopefully Cater um, to sort of progress. The only other option that I think was mentioned, I think Dave uh, Hendrick and Carl mentioned it on the um, Palace Scouted, uh, if you listen to that AI Pro subscribers, uh, was the idea of Andy Robertson or Alberto Moreno going across to play right back and the other one of them obviously playing left back. And that's an idea I'd be on board with. I'm completely signed up to the Alberto Moreno fan club. Whenever you know the unpopular footballing opinions come out on Twitter, I'm always first there to quote with Alberto Moreno is not the worst left back in the league. And uh, if nothing else, like we, it's very, very often we see players that play right back across to play left back. I mean, we've seen Joan Gomez do it. Cesar Aspilicueta is probably a famous example. He's had a brilliant uh, few few seasons at Chelsea playing pretty much exclusively left back. So mm. would it be that big an issue for one of them to come across and do the other things? Like, I think we can, if Robertson was injured, I don't think anyone would be that concerned if we put Moreno at left back against Leicester. So why not put him there? And I'm sure Robertson's sort of well adept enough to do a decent job on the other flank, but uh, I can't. Can't see it happening. It's more of a pipe dream for me. Yeah, more of a pipe dream. I think that I know you and Guy, and and and, and probably me to a lesser extent as well. But I'm definitely so. I've always been a fan of Albi Moreno just because I thought he's definitely unfairly maligned. To be honest, I, I've never really recovered from the um, uh, walking his dog whilst being on a uh, hoverboard. Oh, phenomenal! It's, it's still Absolutely one of the all time. No one's matched that. No one. I mean, you you can have all the all the Jesse Lingard fashion lines you want. And you're just never going to get anywhere near close, close Not to that. Really. Those are real levels that, that Albi set there. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it is going to be interesting to see whether or not, as you mentioned, one yard and come back into the team. Um, actually on Ginny, I mean, do, do you think you mentioned earlier on, you're a bit shocked in the Palace game about how we weren't able to sort of, you know, slow the game down a little bit. He was the one sort of missing. Uh, sort of um, factor in that game wasn't he? T- to be honest in terms of a player we were so used to seeing start every single game does that sort of speak to what his role is in terms of you know, doing that work off the ball cleaning up um, you know, him in our midfield this season of course has been a revelation in, in terms of him sort of being one, one of the first names on the team sheet do, do you think it's um, that could go some way to sort of explaining how we weren't able to sort of slow the tempo down at times I think so, yeah. I think it's a really interesting point because uh, many people sort of suggested, and I agree, that both uh, Fabinho and Henderson had good games against Palace. No, they, they definitely did. I think I did the player ratings for AI and I think both got sevens, so you know, both played well. Um, but I think there's definitely an argument that whilst each midfielder played well, maybe midfield as a whole, including Cater, of course, didn't function in the sort of controlled manner that we've come to expect in terms of dictating the pace of the game, restricting Palace counter attacks, things like that, which Wijnaldum's fantastic at, obviously, his, his sort of defensive qualities sort of were put to the test a bit more in that game away at Man City in the Champions League last season, and since then I think it's become really noticeable just how much of an all-round footballer he is in terms of having the ability to be played in more advanced role and score goals, but also having the ability to sit back, mop up, you know, cancel out counter-attacks, things like that, and whilst it's difficult to say, because obviously we're saying Henderson and Fabinho played well against Palace but was there a missing link maybe that is sort of testament to sort of this sort of often spoken about unseen role that certain players do maybe for us it is Wijnaldum and uh, it'll be great to have him back in that midfield too should he uh, should he be fit and available yeah for me I mean I mean when I've been looking at the team as well I, I've always thought that this improved form that we've seen from Henderson as well and I, I'm not trying to, to de- detract from his own performances because they have been better but I, I do think they've honestly have come when he's been been afforded a bit more freedom uh, by playing alongside you know, the likes of Fabinho in, in that midfield, that he, he's actually been given the license to go back a little bit to the Hendo we used to know in terms of you know, using his energy, using his um, sort of relentlessness at times uh, a bit further up the pitch, which is it's, it's definitely been good to see. So uh, it's interesting sort of how you balance that out because yeah, I'm not sure whether, whether how often we've seen the Ginny. Hendo and and Fab combo, not too often, but I think it's uh, it has proven effective when we have seen those three line up together. Um, so I'm sure that will definitely inform what happens at, at right back. But uh, another player who's of course 
yeah, but people would have loved to have seen him in this midfield this season, really, to have another string to our bow. But uh, it's been really, really encouraging to see sort of the posts on social media. Um, I think everyone's been following his journey in terms of um, Oxlade's, uh, Oxlade Chamberlain's return to fitness. Um, I think, you know, based on all the AI pods and you know, those guys went in, in, into depth. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to those um, on pro into the talking about the actual injury, the nature of it, and how it would take a lot longer really to get to recover from it than I think many people actually figured. Um, I think we were sort of, we understood he would be out for the season more or less um, you know, way before it actually did get announced in the end. But um, you know, lo and behold, it looks like he's going to be potentially making a role um, uh, returning for us uh, before the season's uh, finished. I mean, what sort of role are you expecting him to have, um, if any, in this uh, this season? It's a really weird one because obviously we were so distraught, really, to see him go off against Roma, and then we were sort of all quite happy again because we went five nil up. But yeah, it was one of the real shames towards the end of last season when he got injured because it was just as he kicked on and was really starting to sort of cement himself as a name that we want to see in the team every week. He was playing so well. I think he got something like I think I read the other day he got something like seven seven league assists last season which when you consider he didn't really do anything for the first few months and then assists are fairly hard to pick up anyway unless you're constantly on set pieces, was a sort of really impressive return. Yeah, it's actually very similar to what, we, what we've seen with Nappy a little bit, isn't it? In terms of just like you you saw at first the off-the-ball work was what was there and you, and you, and you yeah. could see if, if, if you analysed it, that he, the work he, he was putting in, it was there, but on the ball, pretty similar to Nappy in that it just seemed like he wasn't really full of confidence. Definitely, and then we're just waiting for, like, like we are waiting for Naby to explode, like we saw Oxley Chamberlain explode, and it will be fantastic to have him back. But in terms of role this season, it's really difficult because it's probably, apart from maybe being in a relegation battle and having a star player come back from a long-term injury, it's probably the worst situation to bring a player, however good they are, back into the team after you know nearly a year out. It'll be when he finally gets back because so much pressure on every performance. Like you've got to like you normally you'd like to give a player five or six games to play themselves into form, but we haven't got five or six games just to give him like 75 minutes in. So we, we, if someone comes in now, we need him to come in and make an impact, which is why I don't expect him to play a huge role this season because I think Klopp will be quite tentative in the way he uses him. He spoke in well, the interview I saw earlier when I was mentioning the sort of injury updates. He spoke about, say, Chamberlain and said that he's now healthy again in terms of he's no longer injured, but he's miles off being match fit and sharp. And, you know, it's going to take him a while to get match fit. And even when he is match fit, he's still going to be a bit rusty. It's going to take him a few games. So, I think we have to manage him carefully. One thing that I think could be really useful is if, if we can get him back for sort of the start of April, I'm not quite sure when the timeline's going to be because it seems like he's back in sort of, he's doing outdoor work, he's back in back in training, not first team training yet, so we're not quite sure when exactly it's going to be that he's sort of back in the fold and maybe making the bench. Um, but if we could maybe have him available to start games in the Champions League and sort of the quarterfinals, I think, are at the start of April, mid-April, if we, if we beat Bayern, that is, of course, then I think he could be really useful in that because because then I think, assuming say say we get to the quarterfinals and say we're still top of the league, or you know, touch wood, fingers crossed. Um, I, th- I think Liverpool fans, whilst they will be up for the quarterfinal, if we go out, we're not going to care as much. So I think the champ- latter rounds of the Champions League, should we get there, could be a really good opportunity to like play Oxlade Chamberlain some form, get him back, play catering some form, and maybe sort of start forming a partnership between them two, maybe ahead of Fabinho or something that we maybe like to see in seasons to come. But in terms of the league, I think. Klopp's use of Cater sort of indicates to me that he's got a tentativeness now that we are we have got our noses ahead in the league table to throw people in for a sustained periods and allow them their mistakes. I think he's pretty much entirely focusing on right, what can I best do to win the league this year? And I don't think he's gonna say, right, well, you know, Ox, you you're just about back, like go out and give seventy five minutes and don't worry how you play. I think he's gonna be much more sort of restrained in his use of him although I, I do think Klopp ideally would love to get him back and firing in the team every week as soon as possible because I think it's clear how much he sort of wanted him chased him and appreciates his talents but given the position we're in now I think we're going to have to be a little bit patient even though it is fantastic to have him back on uh, back and out training on the grassy pitches uh, earlier than anticipated yeah no I, th- I think I think you're right because we're going to have to rein in some of this excitement it is obviously we're very eager to see him back um, we know exactly what he was giving us towards the end and um I think I was just a little bit surprised by just how how excited Klopp seemed to be um, around it because I, I really thought there was no way he was going to play maybe if he, one or two appearances on the bench you know towards the end of the season just to give him a nice boost or, or, or something like that but um, it would be remarkable if he did have, have a role to play and actually did something significant of course towards 
the the ultimate goal of winning that um winning that elusive title, of course. So um, I, I think I think that sort of nicely segues on to Naby as well because that is a player who is fit, um, yeah, incredibly highly rated. We know we know the skills he possesses and the, the talent he possesses as well, but sort of in that similar phase that we saw Oxen for a while in terms of you know, doing the physical work, doing the off the ball work, but. Not really on the ball. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that's, that shocked me a little bit is I expected to see the arrogance. I expected to see, um, you know, a real sort of, um, yeah, footballing arrogance from Naby that I've not, I've not seen enough of. You've seen glimpses and, and perhaps it's, uh, as you said there, um, it, it is going to require a run of games. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, we're in the business of winning matches now. I mean, do, do, do you see Naby getting the run of games? I mean, for, for example, do, would you see him starting uh, on Wednesday against Leicester? I think Klopp's going to go back to Shakiri against Leicester because it's what's worked in recent months, that 4-2-3-1. But equally, if we get an injury, then I can see Naby getting a run of games. In terms of if Shakiri gets injured, I think Naby will get a run of games. And if one of the uh, sort of star attacking three gets injured, I think we'll see Shakiri take their place and Naby probably drop into 4-3-3. I think he's, I think he's got a chance of getting a run of games that I think he needs to sort of just click into action. But whether Klopp's planning for that or whether it just sort of happened as a reaction to events, I think probably the latter... Um, but you know it's something I'd love to see because as you say he's, the off-ball work's been really good he's shown flashes of brilliance it's not like he's come and been a complete bum it's just not quite clicked for him yet you know we had the um, second week of the season brilliant turn against Crystal Palace plays an immaculate pass over the top to Salah maybe if Salah knocks that in it's all a bit different for him because he's pretty much got the assist of the, assist of the season in his second game West Ham on the opening day he was really good um, he, Burnley when we beat them 2-1 the other week 3-1 my yeah, body, that's 2-1 short, wasn't it yeah was re- he was really good there, uh, and he's he's had really good sort of flashes and games and moments of being the navigator we expected and want him to be. It's just not quite come together maybe in a big performance in a huge game or over two or three consecutive games. I was there in the uh, I was at the League Cup game against Chelsea. We lost two one, and he was really good in that game, driving us forward, beating players, getting shots away. And I think it's just like every couple of months he just seems to have like a little forty five minutes of like ah oh, right now's time and then maybe he'll start the next game and not quite perform or he doesn't start the next game it just doesn't seem to be quite clicking it's a real do you shame, buy into but... it that it's going to be or, or, or that it's, it's an issue with his position and he needs, um, to, he needs to play in one position to, 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 to an extent yeah I, I think that's I think that's a very good point um, Cybernish obviously we were just talking about with the Oxlade Chamberlain stuff put a tweet out the other week and I thought it was brilliant it was after the Palace game sorry and what he said was, if we were looking to buy a left midfielder or a left winger tomorrow, where would Naby Keita be on the list? And he, and he wouldn't be, uh, because he's, he's not a left winger. Um, like you can play him there and be expecting to do better than he did, but I'm not going to write him off based on performances out of position. You know, but I do think the planning last season was sort of the planning over the summer was the fact that we'd probably buy an attacking midfielder and end up with Fabinho, Keita, and maybe Fakir. Uh, with Firmino, Salah and Marnie operating around them just ahead. But I think we've ended up with this sort of horses for courses approach where Klopp's going to try and get him into the team, but he's not going to detract from what's working. So at the moment, I think, uh, ideally, I think Cater seems to want to play in the midfield too. or not. I don't, I don't know what he wants, but it seems to be where he's played best in his career so far. And I think I, I think we'd all love to see him there, right? As good as Tenson's played at the moment, as good as Wijnaldum's been. I think when we got these players in last summer, we were all thinking, right, how good could a... Um, Fabinho and Naby Keita midfield pivot B and maybe next season or it's something we're going to end up with in one or two years time but for right now it doesn't seem to be a thing that's happening because I don't know about you but I can't see Klopp suddenly turning up say if Leicester on Tuesday and on Wednesday sorry and dropping both Henderson and Wijnaldum to the bench and saying right we're going to go Naby and Fabinho because it could be great and it might start badly and end up being great but we can't afford to take the risk really of it not really working we can't give them the game time to sort of understand how to work with each other as a pivot because you know points mean everything at the moment you know if we draw one game that we should win with maybe Henderson and Fabinho or one out of Fabinho midfield that could be the difference between lifting the Premier League trophy or not come May and I think Klopp's acutely aware of that and to an extent I think Cater will understand that and Klopp will probably be in his ear saying listen you know I think maybe it could have worked out a bit differently but we might just have to sort of wait until next season to see the best of you where you want to play but yeah, I th- we I, I hope that he kicks into form because if he if Cater clicks into form and starts showing us what he showed us in Germany, then that could really be the thing that puts us over the line in terms of winning the title or going find the Champions League again. But equally, 
I can't at the moment, unless there's injuries that sort of throw him into a team in a more natural position, I can't see circumstances changing that would allow him to do that. Yeah, that's the thing, I think, isn't it? I think that's the temptation that you know that there are nine out of tens in there. And if you can just unlock it before the end of the season, it really could be the difference. It, it could, you know, could push us over, uh, the line um and uh but on the other hand as you mentioned you had that caution around not wanting to drop somebody and i i actually even wonder whether or not we might see more of him in the champions league again and i'm not sure what whether or not he'll be chosen to play there because it could be sort of a free one not not a free for him obviously again against Bayern Munich is never sort of a small occasion but um it could be perfect for him even based on some of the experience he's had in the Bundesliga beforehand I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Cater included it in those uh, in those games for sure. But um, to move on to, to to Leicester then, and look ahead to Wednesday's game, is a while has been a while since the last one. Um, a team in in the past that's given us you know, quite a few problems in terms of just how direct they are and how you know, they were often bypassed our press and, and done done so effectively. And even Puel as well to an extent. Obviously, uh, recent games against us, he's he's lost but um he he has he did have a very good record against us when he was um Southampton manager um they're a team that I look at and I think they've got similar strengths there um that as as Palace to to some extent and and could also cause us similar headaches uh, how do you see that that game going definitely i think i definitely think in terms of palace i think they're going to defend well counter-attack well, use their sort of quick men up front. Vardy's obviously got an excellent record against Liverpool. And it seems to be the way with Puel that he's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, whereas I think, not to go into too much detail on Leicester, um, sure we've got a very good Leicester fan on to do that, but in terms of Leicester, they seem to have, their Premier League win seems to have sort of knackered the chances of future managers because, you know, if Puel comes in and he could finish, say, eighth this season with Leicester, and that's a very, that's a very good finish for a team like Leicester. If they hadn't won the Premier League, whereas like now they've won the Premier League, I think their fans will accept sort of eighth, ninth finishes. But you know they've, they've got this hunger for success. They want cup runs and exciting football and stuff. And Puel's a fairly defensive manager. Naturally, we've seen him get very good results against Liverpool in the past with sort of good defensive football, and that seems to be what he's showcasing. But it seems to be the case that just as the Leicester board gears up to sack him, uh, he produces or pulls a result out of the hat. Uh, we've seen them beat Chelsea and Manchester City this season spectacularly. Uh, so maybe the the logic the logic in me says you know they've beaten Chelsea and Man City what are, away what are the chances they're going to rock up Fanfield and win as well but you know equally say well they've beaten Chelsea and Man City away so why not come to Fanfield and do it uh, obviously we beat them in in the autumn two uh, one played fairly well but Leicester also gave us a very good game I think we struck that's another game we sort of struggled controlling midfield although we didn't have Fabinho excelling as well then so I think that's going to be a big boost for us if he does play in the midfield uh, in sort of comparing how we're going to do on Wednesday to how we did in the uh, return fixture back at the start of the season and you know it's a game we should win I think the sort of uh, time in Dubai with the warm weather trading is going to give the lads a chance to get focused get fit and prepare at least for this match you'd hope you know we had a big break between fixtures and yeah it's, it's a game you've, you've got to be confident for because you know at Anfield these days we're so good and so excellent at pulling out results, and uh, apart from the Palace game, normally keeping the opposition from scoring. So uh, yeah, but they've they've shown they've got very talented players and they've got a talented manager. They've shown that they can turn it on against the big teams, and it seems to be that just as the pressure mounts on Puelli can pull a result. So is that going to happen on Wednesday? You have to wait and see. Yeah, I remember that last game against Leicester, probably most famous for uh, was it? Allison trying one trick too many finally and he got that was the one he got yep. caught and then everyone sort of went crazy about it and I didn't expect him to change although actually if you look at things he, he probably has been a bit more straightforward um he's had his moments where he, he, you can still see he has that arrogance to him which you 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 want him to keep a course right but um I think I think he did tone it down a little bit after that as well um but yeah o- always a tough game against Leicester I mean are there, are there particular players I mean you mentioned Vardy there but are there particular players that you're you know, not perhaps looking forward to facing this weekend? Uh, Vardy, obviously the obvious one. Um, James Madison, uh, I'm not sure if he's start injured, but he's been excellent for Leicester since signing. Mm. He'd be a tricky one if he's fit to play. Um, actually, it's one of those where I think Vardy's the sort of big man because he's got that sort of really good record against Liverpool. Um, but they are, they're, they're a team that sort of let their their big their best player is essentially their team in the sense that when Leicester can put it together in his eleven, they're well organised, they attack well, 
and they can cause a problem for anyone. And I think it's that sort of, it's not necessarily the threat of a specific player to sort of take the game to us as much as the threat of Leicester playing to their full potential, uh, which is, you know, compact, tight defensive display and the chance to really hit us on the counter-attack, which I think they've got in them. I'm just hoping that they don't decide to use those talents on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think it's another another straightforward um, in the end. Of course, three points, it's, it's, that's all that matters right now. I mean, um, if I was to put you on the spot then, uh, Ollie, and ask you for a prediction to... Um, for, for Wednesday's game, there. I mean, they're they're, they're well rested. Um, they've had time to focus on this game, time to prepare for it. Um, what are you expecting on on Wednesday night? I think I think we'll win by a couple of goals. I think we're going to win two 0 uh, I like to think that the break is going to give Van Dijk a chance to get the defence back in line and remind them that remind them that we're all about clean sheets <laughs> these days. Yeah. Like, if, I'm, I can imagine him walking into the dressing room just after that Palace game, looking around like three goals. He doesn't know the meaning of three goals. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting Van Dijk to get the fence back in order, regardless of who plays at right back and who plays alongside him. I'm expecting a clean sheet. I think, because of based on some of the experiences Klopp's had against Leicester since taking over us, I think we might be a bit more reserved to start with and sort of just look to not, not sit back, obviously, but just slow the game down a bit more, get a look at them, don't let them settle into too much sort of counter-attacking pattern if we're sort of charging forward early on. I think we might have to be a bit patient, but I expect, you know, Salah to get that opening goal that he seems to be so good at getting these days. And then let's... I hope another one for Sadio Mane because if he could play himself in some form that'd be nice so I'm going to say Liverpool 2 Leicester City 0 Nice yeah I think I'll go for a nice standard 2-0 as well I think that, that, that'd that be very welcome especially after a 4-3 you don't really want It'd to, be very welcome You it? don't want to get back to this sort of nonsense um, and also I think it would just be a, a, another signal that it's, it's back to normality you know, following that uh, um, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a kick in the teeth for Man City. That was just a nice. We, they they don't we don't want them to start thinking that we're gonna go back to this hectic game in chat. Just a nice, simple two 0 Like, don't worry about us lads. You crack on with the FA Cup and the League Cup, and that will will sort out the Premier League. Nice, simple two 0 It'll be lovely. Yeah, of course, will will sort out the Premier League would be definitely definitely very nice to very nice to have. That. I, I think City <laughs> actually we, played before us, don't they, on, on this on 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 this occasion. So we'll actually be in a different position to yeah. having to actually respond to that. So it'll be interesting to and, see how we do. Yeah, I think they've got Newcastle um, yeah. away. So hopefully, Rafa, hopefully Rafa can do us a favour. Although I've got a Newcastle sporting friend who uh, doesn't hold out too much hope. Unfortunately, I think you can't really blame him. But yeah, oh, it's a yeah. chance, chance, rare chance for City to get ahead of us. But I think the March fixtures have come out today. The uh, fixture changes of television. We're on Sunday a lot, so I think we're going to have to get used to this responding to what City do which you know we've shown that we can handle the pressure at times this season I think that getting that win against United was really big in terms of that was a pressure game we were expected to beat them finally we had the pressure on at home to Napoli when we won 1-0 so hopefully it's uh, not too too bad a thing that we can uh, go back and keep responding to City No of course yeah I think that they've shown this season that they can respond uh, when they're sort of putting high pressure situations so yeah I'm hoping that they do they have used this break to sort of regroup, refocus. As you mentioned, Van Dyke furious about that clean sheet. So I'm sure, yeah, he'll have um, had many words to say to anybody who care to listen <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on on that trip. But uh, anyway, guys, I just, just, just want to thank everybody for listening once again. Of course, another pre- uh, Premier League preview done as we sort of hit what is it now, 15 games odd to. Uh, Find out whether we're going to be the, uh, sort of, of course, the Premier League champions or not. Everyone feels as tense as the last, but yeah, thanks for joining us here and, and, and following along with these previews. We'll, we'll be back, of course, next week to, uh, look ahead to the, um, West Ham game, of course, uh, trip to the London Stadium it has often been kind to us. Hopefully it continued to be so. Um, but anyway, thank you for joining us and, uh, yeah, we'll be back, we'll be back again soon. Podcast Network.